Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we explore the lesser talked about two-state solution and which country isn't having any part of it. Let's get started. Before and during World War I, the modern country of Jordan did not exist. Nearly the entire Middle East is under the control of the Ottoman Empire, a Turkish Muslim empire. The Ottoman Empire had officially sided with the Axis powers during World War I, which meant that they were on the losing side of the First World War, which also meant that once World War I was over, their chosen wartime position came with some consequences. The Ottoman Empire before World War I was commonly known by the countries around as the sick man of Europe, because most countries knew that their power in the region was fragile and was soon to come to an end. With his already fragile status and being on the wrong side of the First World War, the Ottoman Empire officially died. At its height, the Ottoman Empire once spanned from Hungary and Greece in the northwest to Iraq in the east and throughout North Africa and Arabia. The Ottoman Empire also included the area known as the Levant, the area of modern-day Israel, Syria, and Jordan. These areas had now been taken over by the Allied powers following the death of the Ottoman Empire. During World War I, the British had a habit of promising everyone they could anything that they wanted in order to get the support that they needed. This included an Arab revolt that destabilized the Ottoman Empire, an enemy of the British. The Arab revolt began in 1916. It turned the tide against the Ottomans on the Middle Eastern Front. On the basis of an agreement between the British government and Hussein bin Ali, the Sharif of Mecca, the revolt was officially initiated at Mecca in June 1916. The Arab nationalist goal was to create a single unified independent Arab state, stretching from Aleppo in Syria to Aden in Yemen, which the British had promised to recognize once the war was over. The army led by Hussein and the Hashemites, with the military backing of the British Egyptian Expeditionary Force, successfully fought and expelled the Ottoman military presence from much of the Transjordan area. During the war, with the assumption that the Arab revolt and allied soldiers would gain control over the Middle East and destroy the Ottoman Empire, the secret Sykes-Picot agreement between the allied powers partitioned the Middle East into mandate territories. What the Arab people didn't know at the time was part of this secret agreement was that there would be no unified Arab state. As time passed, the empires agreed to end the history of colonization and began granting independence to their colonized people. The British High Commissioner traveled to the area of the Transjordan in 1920. He there declared before a crowd of 600 notable people in the area of the Transjordan that the British government would aid in the establishment of a local government which is to be kept separate from that of Palestine an area that the British also controlled, but promised the land to the Jewish people under the Balfour Declaration. A second meeting took place where the British government representative received a petition that demanded an independent Arab government in Transjordan to be led by an Arab prince. They also asked that Jews no longer be able to buy land in the Transjordan, as well as preventing the Jewish immigration there, among many other things. In 1921, the Emirates of Transjordan was established with Abdullah, the second son of Sharif Hussein, as the emir, or leader. The following year, in 1922, the Council of the League of Nations officially recognized Transjordan as a state under the terms of the Transjordan Memorandum. The Transjordan remained a British mandate until 1946, but it had been granted a greater level of autonomy than the region west of the Jordan River, known as Palestine. A couple of years later, in 1948, the United Nations officially partitioned the British mandate for Palestine into an independent Jewish state and an independent Arab state. 
For the record, this was not considered, quote, Palestine, or an area for Palestinians specifically, but just known as an independent Arab state, separate from the many other Arab states in the region that were created years earlier by the waning empires. Upon the official acceptance of the UN partition plan by the Jewish residents of the new state of Israel, the Arab nations, including the new state of Jordan, attacked the days old state of Israel with their modern armies paid for in part by the British Empire. As part of the plan by the Arab nations, the Arab world refused to accept the UN partition plan, which would have created an Arab state in a large part of the modern state of Israel. Many Arab people living in the land either fled for safety or because the Arab countries promised to destroy Israel for them to return home shortly. There may be some cases where individual Israeli fighters may have demanded people to leave the area for safety or ideological reasons. Many of these people fled to neighboring countries waiting for their return once the Arab armies completed their war against the Jews. Unfortunately for the Jordanians, the Arab armies, and the Palestinians, the brand new state of Israel was able to beat back all of the Arab nation armies. The Jordanians came into possession of the land that is now known as the West Bank, the land that under the United Nations should have been an independent Arab state for those Arabs living in the area of the Levant. This was not part of the Transjordan. However, rather than giving the people of the West Bank an independent state, the Jordanians kept this area for themselves. Instantly, the people living in what was supposed to be an independent Arab state under the UN became occupied by the state of Jordan. Unlike any other Arab army which fled after the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, Palestinian refugees in the West Bank and on the East Bank of the Jordan River were given Jordanian citizenship on the same basis as existing residents. The annexation formed part of Jordan's greater Syria plan, expansionist policy, and in response, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, and Syria joined Egypt in demanding Jordan's expulsion from the Arab League for their annexation of the West Bank. The motion to expel Jordan from the League was prevented by the dissenting votes of Yemen and Iraq. In June 1950, the Arab League declared that the annexation was a temporary one, a practical measure and that Jordan was holding the territory as a, quote, trustee, pending a future settlement. In 1967, the Arab countries, including Jordan, attacked the young state of Israel in hopes of destroying the Jewish state. Again, the Israeli state repelled the attacks and pushed the attackers back. This included gaining more ground that used to be under the control of the Jordanians. The Jordanians had essentially been removed from occupying the West Bank of the Jordan River and East Jerusalem. The area was captured by Israel, although with the exception of East Jerusalem and unlike the Golan Heights, the West Bank was not annexed by Israel. Israel did not want control over the land that contained many Jordanian citizens. The Jordanians also didn't want the growing violence and political opposition in the West Bank. Technically speaking, the West Bank is currently considered under international law to be a territory not part of any state. The country of Jordan didn't officially relinquish their claims to the West Bank for itself until the year 1988. Interestingly, Jordan didn't fully participate in the last major conflict between Israel and the Arab nations. In the 1970s, during the Yom Kippur War, the United States pressed King Hussein to keep Jordan out of the war. Though King Hussein initially refrained from entering the conflict, Jordanian troops deployed to the Jordanian-Syrian frontier in order to help Syrian troops. And the Jordanian forces joined Syrian and Iraqi assaults on Israeli positions. This is a very brief history of the country of Jordan and the relationship with the Israeli state and the people now known as the Palestinians. When we come back, we will look into the history of the Palestinian population in Jordan. We'll be right back on the Jewish Diaspora Report.
In our previous segment, we learned a little bit about the history of the country of Jordan and how it was heavily involved with the history of the Palestinian people. From the initial annexation of the UN-sanctioned Arab state in the British Mandate for Palestine to the final relinquishment of their claim to the land in the 1980s, we saw that the Jordanian country had no interest in supporting or creating a state for the people who call themselves today Palestinians. If we look into the history of the Palestinians in Jordan, it can be very difficult for a few reasons. Firstly, we need to remember that the term Palestinian can be a confusing one. Before 1948, any person who lived in British Mandate for Palestine was considered a Palestinian. This included Jewish, Christian, and Muslim people. When we use the term Palestinian today, we are referring to those who, in the 1960s, begun using the specific term as an Arab nationality, representing people whose family lived in or around the British Mandate for Palestine before 1948. The second challenge to discuss the history of the Palestinian people in Jordan is that Jordan doesn't keep very good records of the Palestinians living in their former and current territory. According to population calculations that we can find, the West Bank has an estimated population of 2.7 million Palestinians. The country of Jordan has over 3 million Palestinians, according to my research. According to the United Nations, more than 2 million Palestinians are registered as refugees that live in Jordan. Most, but not all, have full Jordanian citizenship. About 18% of these Palestinians live in the 10 recognized Palestinian refugee camps set up by Jordan in 1948 and 1967. As we saw in our previous segment, the Jordanians occupied the area of the West Bank from 1948 to 1967. In the 1960s, the Palestinian people under Jordanian control became very militant against the Jordanians and their occupation. The emergence in the late 1960s of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO, and the militant group Fatah, represented a potential threat to Jordan's sovereignty in the West Bank, as well as to Israel. Jordan struggled with controlling the terrorism against their state and their leaders by these groups of Palestinians demanding equality under the law and a state that they were promised under the Arab armies. As an act of terrorism by the Palestinians against the Jordanian government, in 1951, the King of Jordan, King Abdullah I, was assassinated and killed by a Palestinian gunman at the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The tensions grew following the 1967 war with Israel. Many assassination attempts were taken against the leadership of Jordan. The then King Hussein of Jordan and the PLO finally signed a ceasefire agreement mediated by the other Arab nations. This is when the PLO started to focus their attacks on Israel rather than Jordan. The blame for a lack of a state that used to be on Jordan began to slowly shift to the state of Israel. Yasser Arafat and his PLO were expelled from Jordan by early 1971 after numerous attacks against Israel launched from Jordanian territory was beginning to cause international incidents. The PLO then went to Lebanon where they proceeded to create a similar state within a state, weaponizing a dozen Palestinian refugee camps around Beirut and southern Lebanon, thus destabilizing the Lebanese government as they had the Jordanian government not long before. The PLO was eventually expelled from Lebanon after being expelled, the Palestinians were forced to run their terror operations from the West Bank and Gaza because Jordan and other countries in the area had no longer supported their terrorism. This tension and hostility between the Palestinians demanding rights and the Jordanian government refusing to accept Palestinian citizens as equals had only continued. From the 1960s until today, Palestinians living in Jordanian-controlled territory have lost more and more rights, up to and including even losing their Jordanian citizenship. When we come back, we will look at the lesser-discussed two-state solution. We'll be right back on the Jewish Diaspora Report.
I'm sure that many of my listeners have heard the term two-state solution before when referring to Israel giving up land to form a Palestinian state based on some 1948 or 1967 arbitrary line. In a 2010 article written by Al Jazeera, the report discusses what is known as the, quote, Jordanian option as a two-state solution. The idea behind this movement is that Jordan maintains control over one of the largest Palestinian populations in the world, and therefore could provide some areas for a future Palestinian state. The idea behind this is that splitting the land in the state of Israel between the Jewish state and a future Palestinian state is very difficult when it comes to defensible borders. By providing the West Bank and the East Bank, which is now owned by Jordan, Palestinian people can have their own state with defensible borders. Many of these areas on both sides of the river are already filled with Palestinian people. This Jordanian option could not only provide the Palestinian people who are currently living in the West Bank and Jordan in perpetual refugee camps a chance at a life outside of the refugee system, but also the chance to control their own destiny. Under the current Jordanian government, we have seen the Palestinians treated as second-class citizens. They are barred from most positions of employment in the public sector and need special work permits to obtain jobs in the private sector. They have no access to any professions such as law and engineering, as jobs in these areas require a membership which is only open to citizens. In practice, this means that they are expected to either possess a set of skills not found in the Jordanian workforce or work in a sector lacking sufficient Jordanian employees. Until recently, they were unable to own land, property, or even a diesel-run vehicle, whose use is predominantly in commerce and agriculture. This is because many Palestinian Jordanians have been stripped of their citizenship completely. There are two major flaws in the Jordanian option. Firstly, as we saw in the earlier segment, the Jordanian government has always taken a negative view towards the Palestinian people, and therefore are very unlikely to provide areas of their own country to give Palestinians a state. Back in 1948, when the UN promised them an Arab state, the Jordanians occupied the area and refused to give up the land to them. It is very clear throughout history that the Jordanian government has never really wanted to provide the Palestinians a state of their own. This became more strongly held when considering the terrorism and assassination attempts against the Jordanian officials and leadership. Although, keep in mind that the area known as Jordan today was an arbitrary line drawn on a British map, not based on any historical borders or considering any populations in the area. So why do we believe that these Jordanian borders are set in stone and can't be changed? Secondly, the Israeli government and its citizens have mixed feelings about providing land to the Palestinian people, some for ideological reasons and others for safety. In 2005, the Israeli government gave land for peace in Gaza, and it turned into a terrorist launching pad for Palestinian terror. We have seen the growing collaboration between Palestinian Authority and the Israeli government in the West Bank, which has only led to the unfortunate current wave of terror attacks coming from rebel groups against Israel and their own Palestinian leadership these groups who have taken over many large parts of the West Bank. Many Israelis under the current situation would be very hesitant to assume a future Palestinian state, no matter where it's located, will be a fruitful and safe partnership. In the end, we have seen the history of the Palestinian people and how Jordan has played a much larger role than many give it credit for. We have seen the Jordanian government of the past and present treat Palestinians like second-class or even non-citizens. We have seen Jordan occupy the UN land for the Palestinians, put their people in refugee camps, refuse to give them citizenship, and bar them from many aspects of their society. But the Palestinian supporters have been silent. There have been no calls for a two-state solution from Jordan to provide the Palestinian refugees a state on the east bank of the Jordan River, and possibly making a deal with Israel to include some of the West Bank area as well. The history of the Jordanian leadership with the Palestinians has been a challenging one. 
I'm definitely not holding my breath for the Jordanian government to make up for their treatment of the Palestinians since 1948. If we are expecting Israel to give up a tiny piece of land that the British and the United Nations arbitrarily split between the Jewish state and an Arab state, why can we not expect the same thing from the Kingdom of Jordan? I find it absolutely comical sometimes when people who propose an Israeli two-state solution where Israel has to go back to some random previous armistice agreement line. Think about that for a moment. The Palestinian people were offered a part of the British mandate for Palestine but refused it. For them, it was an all-or-nothing option. Their Arab allies attacked Israel and Israel had to defend itself and gain more land. The Arab nations attacked again in hopes of destroying Israel but failed and lost even more of the Palestinians' land. Peace attempt after peace attempt with lines drawn on a map are rejected for various reasons. And now, as part of a two-state solution, people suggest Israel should go back to a line drawn on a map that had been rejected over and over and over again, only after their attacks to gain more land had failed. At what point are the Arab nations and the Palestinian leadership responsible for rejecting countless opportunities for a state? Or can we just say that no matter how many mistakes are made and violent attacks to gain more land are attempted, the Palestinians will always be guaranteed X or Y land? What incentive is there for them to stop attacking and to try and sit down to make peace if they're always guaranteed 1948 or 1967 borders? Maybe it's time for the world powers and the Palestinian supporters to start demanding a two-state solution, a Jordanian state and a Palestinian state. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast and check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time.